Welcome everyone, you're listening to Radio DDC Podcast by the National Library with me, Thiru, your host. In this series, we take our listeners down memory lane as we explore Singapore's musical history and the development of its music scene through audio recordings of local compositions. We will also be sharing stories and materials found in the library's collections. Each episode features a conversation with special guests from the industry and our arts librarians who will share their personal experiences and anecdotes as we traverse through the topics. Stay tuned! When talking about the Singapore indie scene, we should start with the history of English pop music in Singapore. The first wave of local pop rock bands began in the 1960s when rock and roll swept the world by storm in what some may call the British invasion. To discuss this and more, I'm joined by Kong Ling Fong, an arts librarian with the National Library, overseeing its performing arts collection as well as Music SG, its digital archive of Singapore music. Hello, Ling Fong. Hello, Tiru. Do you know of any songs from this period, 1960s? Actually, I was not born yet. (laughs) (laughs) So was I. Okay. Yes. But I did listen to Class 95 FM and I started liking the Beatles. Yeah. Who were one of the bands that contributed to the British invasion. Yes, yes. Mm. I agree. Yeah. However, I think I must have heard from my parents about the quests and the crescendos. Yeah. And also, I got to know these bands when I was working at the library and also uh, being in charge of Music SG. Perks of the job, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I understand that during this time, tea dances were organised by clubs, which was really a cool idea, I think. You know, notably the Golden Venus and all. Uh, So this set the stage for many of our self-made local bands to perform and flourish. So can you tell us more about these uh, bands? One of the most successful bands that I know of was The Quest. Mm. They even beat the beaters on our local charts with their original song, Shanti. Wow. Yeah. They were pioneers of our local pop music scene and... Along with them, we had the Cyclones, the Checkmates and the Thunderbirds. Besides the pop scene, on the blues and rock front, we had bands like Stray Dogs and Pest Infested. Okay, you can really see the names of the bands were very different then. Eh? Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. So besides the local English bands, I heard there were also bands who performed Malay numbers like the Rhythm Boys and the Night Walkers. I believe this was during the Pop Yeah Yeah era where Malay rock music started. Yes. I wonder if you have heard of Sweet Charity. Mm, yes. Yeah, so this was one of the bands that transited from Pop Yeah Yeah to Mud Rock. So some may be familiar with the lead Ramli Sarip. Mm. Yeah, he was actually referred to as Papa Rock. You know, He's an icon. Huh? Yeah, I think he sang in one of our National Day songs. Yes, yes, yes. yes you know, with all the, you know, we had a lot the of... The parade and all yeah, that, yes. Yes, yeah. So Sweet Charity was one of the few bands that actually managed to still make a mark during the 1970s. So what happened in the 1970s then? Unfortunately, the local music industry declined uh, due to various reasons. One was due to the withdrawal of the British forces. Uh, The British forces was actually a reliable source for gigs for these bands. And there was also the demise of the tea dancers. Right. Yeah. The climate had changed as pop rock music was deemed as yellow culture. You know, the hippie time, hippie culture. Right. Yeah. So besides this, the music trend also began to evolve. We had things like disco music, you know, funk, soul. Yeah, this became really popular. I remember the discos, yes. Yeah. 
And also the record companies were not signing up our local bands as much as before. Mm, that's uh, so sad. Uh, but things took a turn, right? In the 80s and there was a revival. Yes, that's right. During this time, you know, Dick Lee. Mm, yeah, yes. so he actually drove the genre of Singapore pop. We had a lot of the Fried Rice Paradise, you know. Yes. Yeah, and... Mad Chinaman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those songs, yeah. So although he had his own albums and he went overseas to expand his career, he also wrote many songs for artists around Asia. This actually topped the charts over Asia. It was a proud moment for Singaporeans, I must say. You mentioned, I remember singing along with the catchy tune of the Mustafa song. You know, this uh, it incorporated like Chinese and Malay words together and, you know, along with the local dishes and all. It was very easy to relate to, like, such songs, I must say. yeah. So I think Dickley was one of the success stories that we heard. Yeah. But during this time, local indie music, as we know it now, had its beginnings. Mm. Yeah. One of the key influencers and pioneers at the time was Chris Ho. Yes. Yeah. He started the Zircon Lounge, one of the first alternative punk bands in Singapore. Yeah. So happening, right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, they had one album, Rigor Vigor. It did not sell well, but it was attributed to be one of the landmark albums that steer away from mainstream music. Besides uh, forming his own band, he was also a radio DJ with Red Diffusion. Yes. Yeah. And he introduced new music at local bands to Singapore audiences through his programs like Eight Mouse High, Rough Cuts from Home and Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. So local radio definitely played uh, a part in promoting local music then. Yes. Yeah. So besides the radio, right, we had our first independent music magazine called The Big O. Uh-huh. Which, yeah, is actually short for Before I Get Old. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's from a song by The Who. Yeah. The founders, Michael and Philip Chia, were key, also key influencers of the indie music scene. So the magazine was initially a platform for people to discuss and for information, especially for music enthusiasts. Yeah, but they actually took it beyond its printed form. And they organize concerts and also release sampler cassettes and CDs. Uh, really trailblazers, huh? Some of the initiatives they had was were the Singers Club, which was uh, where they actually released CD singers along with their publication. Right. And also the New School Rock Project, where they organized series of gigs, record compilations and band competitions. So cool. Yeah, so they really promoted the indie music scene. Some examples of the bands that benefited from this support and exposure were the Odd Fellas, mm. Opposition Party, Corporate Toy and Stomping Ground. Yeah, so if you would like to find out more, we have the magazine in our collection. I mean, back then, printed magazines contributed to documenting the local music scene and will definitely be a treasure trove of information to researchers interested in this topic. So moving on, what about venues, Lengfong? I mean, in the 1960s, there were clubs like Golden Venus. What about the 90s? In the 90s, I think one major player was the substation. Ah. Yeah, it became a launchpad for many local bands. I'm not sure if you know about the substation garden. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. So many independent gigs were staged there. And it was one of the few venues where local bands could perform. So I think uh, it still served this purpose even into the 2000s, as I recall attending some gigs some years back. Mm, yeah. It's a shame that it's closing down. So as part of the National Library programming team, right? So I remember organising the relaunch of the Music SG Portal in 2014. And we invited solo artists such as, you know, Nick Lee, Analog Girl, Shiga Shea, Jack and Ray to perform at the concert in relation to it. And it was really a memorable experience. Yes, Music SG was relaunched in 2014. Yeah, actually it already existed before mm. that. 
but we revamped it to include the indie music genre. By this time, the indie music scene has already grown by leaps and bounds. Yeah, so we had many indie bands and solo artists. I think, like as you mentioned, the Analog Girl, we had Lunarine, the Observatory, Great Spy Experiment, the Sam Willows, yes. Charlie Lee, Electrico, you know, Concave Screen, so many. There were so many of these indie artists. And you can see the transition of the names, you know, for the bands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And besides that, we also had the opening of the Esplanade. Yes. Yeah, which played a really big part in providing a permanent venue for local acts to perform. Yeah, so one major festival organized by Esplanade is the Babies Festival that is held annually since 2002. So it covered many music genres, including folk, pop, metal, post rock, and punk. Yeah. Yeah, so Babies has actually now become one of the biggest indie music festivals in the region. So Ling Fong, I'm sure our podcast listeners will be eager to find out who is the guest for this episode. So let's not keep them in suspense anymore. Independent or Indie Music for short covers a wide range of musical genres including pop, rock, metal and folk. It is usually associated with non-mainstream productions, individuals, bands or small recording companies independent of major labels. There's usually some DIY element to it. For the next 30 minutes, we will be listening into the conversation between librarian Leng Fong and our special guest Sai Akilesh. Akilesh has been a full-time programmer at Esplanade theatres on the bay since 2015. He has been part of the teams that have presented various festivals such as Kala Utsavam and Bay Beats. Akilesh has been helming Bay Beats since 2018. He has developed program series for the Esplanade such as All Things New and Soundtracks. He has also conceptualised programs which are aimed towards providing opportunities for local Indian classical musicians. Thank you, Akilish, for coming on our show. The indie music scene has grown quite a fair bit over the last two decades, and Babies has definitely played a big role in this. Could you share with us the backstory of Babies and how it was conceptualized? Yes, first of all, thank you so much for having me. So, Babies it's indie alternative music festival. So, back in two thousand two, it was formed by a group of friends, a collective of friends, and and mainly headed by this one individual called John John Chong. And he headed this music label called Wake Me Up Music. And for many of those, it was, at that point in time, it was one alternative way of showcasing bands and genres that didn't really have platforms then. As many of us know, Substation was around then. And a lot of the alternative music, like punk, a slightly more edgier form, forms of music presented there. Other than that, there weren't many other scenes. You had the Mando pop scene, you have the English pop scene. But for this kind of underground genres, there weren't any platforms. So the main idea of Babies, even until today, is to give an opportunity to bands that are primarily under the underground genres, the scene. And at that point in time, it was mainly just like, I shouldn't say it's a pet project, but it was a passionate project because all of them had full-time jobs. This was something that they really wanted to pursue and promote. So that's how Babies started. If you really talk about it, at that point in time, the kind of genres that were presented were far lesser than what we see now like the subgenres and everything last time it was only electric pop or pop stuff like hard rock rock very straightforward genres punk rock and nowadays you see there's evolved until there's like many 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 different subgenres so going back to then yeah that was the main idea of uh, babies 2002 so how did you get involved in babies 
I mean, it's a good question because before 2015, I joined Esplanade in 2015. So before that, I was attending Baybeats as a fanboy, watching few, many of the local bands because I only knew a few bands, but coming to Baybeats, you're exposed to so many other bands. So that's how I started. But the funny thing is when I joined in 2015, I actually, background is, my background is more more so like I'm, I concentrated more on the Indian performing arts, more towards Indian music, Indian percussions to be very specific. And then on, uh, when I joined uh, Esplanade, it was more like to help with the Indian team, uh, Indian programming team. And I got an opportunity to be part of Beats as any random team member in 2016. 2016, 2017, I was a member. And 2018, I got the chance to lead the festival. So from then on, I've had the good luck of leading the festival with a really solid team that supports. So that is, in a nutshell, that's how I got involved in Beats, both as a fanboy and as a person who's programming the festival. So how was it different as an audience and then going behind the scenes as a producer? Yeah. I mean, uh, as audiences, we always expect, okay, who? There's always the anticipation to see, okay, who's programmed for this year's festival? And whether it's happiness or whether they, they would feel like, okay, maybe we could have had another band. So, so it's for fans, right? It's like always that form of expectation. And when you're at the festival, you just want to enjoy different genres of music, different forms of music. It's just like consumption. And for some fans, right, it's like uh, finding out new stuff, new bands, who are the new players in the market, and seeing friends. There's this whole community of babies, aficionados, who love to come to the festival. They'll just walk around. You'll see familiar faces. So for fans, right, it's that kind of gathering, reunions of sorts. But for on the flip side, for producing the festival, right, it's like on top of that, it's like putting good quality bands in the festival, on the building. At the same time, also having a thought about the longer term or the mid to longer term impact that the festival has. I may go a bit technical now or a bit too nerdy, but the reality is we also kind of think about what is the current music consumption. When as a producer, you also see the different, the way BBs has evolved. So for fans, whilst they still follow the festival, the producer has a macro perspective. What works? What are the different times? How do you schedule? How do you strategize? different timings, which bands do you put here, which band do you put there. That kind of comes in naturally when you're producing, which you don't get to see while you're doing, when you're just attending the festival as a fanboy or fangirl. So that's probably one very big difference. So how did your music background actually help you in organizing the festival? Yeah, I always get this question because a person who's like practicing Indian traditional classical art form and babies is like two different worlds, two different extremes. But I guess huge part of it still implies to like the artistic excellence. What do we look out for? Whether it's any genres, whether it's good music, great music, person with some artistic level of expertise will be able to discern which is better, which is not. But more so as an artist, right? It's, one is able to empathize with other bands. Let's say we always think about, okay, how can we make it better for bands, for artists? What are the things that we can do? How can we handhold them in terms of putting together like a simple on-stage tech rider? Because many of the bands are from the underground scene, so they're not used to like really great sound systems, really great uh, backline, backline meaning instruments and everything. An example is bands, when we ask them, okay, what do you need for the festival, for stage? They say one drum kit, one amp, one bass amp, one guitar amp. But we'll ask you, what exactly do you need? What drum kit? What crash symbol? So 
they're not used to this kind of thing. So for us, it's like understanding, okay, we know that they don't know. So we just, some of them may not know. Let me rephrase myself. But it's also like empathizing, thinking from their point of view, how can I help them? How do I make certain sessions better? What do I think that they need in terms of soft skills? This comes when you are doing budding mentorship sessions. But overall, even in terms of packaging the festival, it's like, how do I put this band in a particular stage? Artistically, also thinking about it. So it's, it kind of helps when you have that sense of being an artist because it just makes the experience for both the audiences and the organizers a lot more well-rounded. So that's probably a way in which I feel being an artist also helps, despite being from a totally different art form and genre. So were there any interesting encounters while you were planning the festival? The thing is, when we plan the festival, it's like everything is perfect. It's like we always plan for a perfect scenario, like nothing will go wrong, everything is great. But the thing is, a lot of fun things happen during the festival. So a couple of things is, we've had a couple of proposals. So there's this, there was this one very famous band. Uh, there is this one famous band called Wormrod, very popular. And he, the lead singer wanted to propose to his wife on stage, on stage during the performance. So that happened in 2013. Then in 2018, when we re-invited them, the, he brought up his five-year-old son. So it's like, whilst Babies is known to be like a very edgy festival, there are these kind of small pockets where you feel like, okay, that's that, that really nice human element to it. And the fun thing is about how bands request for things to do. Like there was this one band just wanted to say, during the performance, I will draw a bit of fake blood on myself to give the dramatic effect. Because like I said, from the start of uh, Babies, right, till now it has evolved. So now people are thinking of it as a theatrical experience dramatic how do i engage the audiences better because last time it was just plug in play and leave now it's like engaging the audiences how do i read the pulse of the room so in that case in this like i was saying right it's like how does one band create that whole persona so there was this one band who came to us i will draw fake blood so please don't mind please don't worry if something happens so this is really part of the performance so there are like stories like this where bands like want to do something more and they will be like okay i'll tell you first then we reenact it or we enact it later so it's these are a couple of stories in terms of doing doing the festival and what so i mean everything else so how did the audience receive the f- fake blood the first impression is definitely a shock what's happening okay how, how did this person suddenly have something else but the guy was still going on singing so it was it was fine no issues with that it was just part of the performance So how has the festival evolved over the years? In terms of evolution, uh, maybe it's the music consumption has changed. And because the music consumption has changed, the way we program and curate the festival also will change. It's like a trickle-down effect. So initially, in the initial few years, you could only hear genres like punk rock, something more electronic, something more indie. But over the years, you could see like different form of sub-genres coming in. Metal, interestingly, only came lay in the middle part of Beebeats 
it wasn't a genre that started out B-beats. It was indie, like I said, indie rock and everything else. Metal then came in. Then you had genres like dream pop, shoegaze. And now you see hip hop coming in. The question is, okay, how are these genres coming in? Because if you see in the last five to eight years, there has been this huge resurgence of shoegaze, the genre. Then you have kids who love the sound of dream pop, very hazy, but very pop driven. And then the last four years in Singapore, you'd seen like artists like Young Raja, Faris Jabba come into the scene where hip hop really just had this new resurgence in the local scene, albeit they rap in their own mother tongues, which is great, have a very Singapore identity. So it's like Beats as a festival has evolved with the scene and with what people love and what they consume. And in the same vein, the way we curate our mentorship programs Every other fringe event also follows that. So sometimes we see that there are more writers, there are more of certain practices. Then we try to see how we can include it. At the same time, it also we also see what's happening in the scene. Uh, once upon a time, there was uh, NEC had this noise music mentorship. At that point in time, we knew that they were doing something and we didn't want to replicate things. Similarly, there were other mentorship programs, other programs that were happening in the scene. So it's also about serving the scene and how we can evolve along with it. So. We were never scared, I guess, in a broad scale, we are never fearful of uh, pulling out certain programs. The scene didn't need it, it'll just cease operations, certain, certain programs. So there are many examples for that, but I guess that's how Beats as a festival has also evolved, really just following the scene and what it needs. Okay, so you mentioned about the budding program. So yep. I understand Babies has two main mentorship programs. One is the Budding Bands program and the Budding Editorial Team Mentorship program, which is covers videography, writing and all this. So could you share with us more about these programs? So actually, the Budding Band program actually was the first program that started out. But albeit it was known as something else, it was a budding competition. So in 27, 2007, we started the band mentorship program. So at that point, it was really a competition. You had bands... Uh, signing in then the top six or eight bands will perform in the festival then over from then on then we had like other smaller programs like budding writers budding editorials budding photographers budding entrepreneurs we had that <laughs> budding entrepreneur program for a while but that has also like stopped but whatever is uh, remaining now it's we have the budding band program the budding photographers and budding writers which is clubbed into the budding editorial program and we have revived Budding Videographers program. Four of these programs, right, are kind of key to what Beats is actually. So this is like to give like aspiring music journalists, aspiring bands, aspiring gig photographers a chance to be part of something, like give them a taste into what the local music scene is and the indie music scene is. So for example, let's say a Budding Band program. Usually uh, when we do the open call, we get about close to, on an average, 80 to 100 bands right in. So for our, the programming team, literally we'll have a listening party. We'll listen to, through all the 100, 100 odd bands and artists. Then we'll sieve it down to 30. So after 30, then they go through a, a open audition. Then we'll sieve it down to 15. Then 15 to the 6 or 7. So the 6 or 7 will then go on to perform at the festival. So to keep in line with 6 or 7 bands, we'll also have 6 or 7 photographers and video writers. So this. Six is like a grouping, six or seven of each, right? They'll, they'll then form teams and they'll travel through the entire 
babies, the four months of babies' mentorships together. Albeit they'll have their own homeworks, like music criticism, like for writers, okay, short form writing, then for photographers, go to a gig and take photos, then the mentor will then, in a way, criticize how it looks. So for the mentorship program, right, we are like really fortunate to have a lot of fun, passionate individuals who then are the mentors and judges. Many people who we are really thankful towards because it's more like a passion project because the time that they spend to go through all these programs is not a small deal. But most of them do it for the love of the local scene. So like I said, it's Babies is like a community festival. And it's really what we feel is it's a festival by the community for the community. So budding program, I feel, reflects that the best. So you have like a bunch of musicians, a bunch of writers who you see in festivals, other festivals. At the same time, you have judges who you also have, you also like see in other places and other venues. So it's like, literally, it's like a reunion every time we do mentorship programs. So that's the fun element of it. I think I took a very long route, but that is what feel of budding programs are. So how do you think that this has benefited the mentees? Has any of the ex or even the music journalists become commercially successful? In terms of, we are always very realistic because the genres that are represented in the festival may or may not go to that level. Because if you talk about commercial success, it's, there's a lot of elements that come in. And the current music scene kind of is inclined towards a bit more pop, a bit more hip-hop. Those kind of genres are a bit more represented. So we would like not really go into that to see how commercially successful they are, but there are bands and artists who have uh, been successful in their own rights. Like people like Inch Chua, Disco Hue, quite a few bands, even in the underground scene like Wormrot, Harvest. So these are some bands like who are great, but uh, whether it's commercially successful, I'm not fit enough to answer that. But the reality is, whilst Babies, the budding programs, has supported these bands uh, and artists, I think they've done enough hard work on their own side to like make themselves successful. So maybe I can say we played a small part, but I really cannot claim a stake for their success because yeah, it's a lot of hard work. And most of these bands and artists have been in the industry for over a decade, 15 years, even 20 years. So Babies is going to hit 20 this year. So... There's a lot of bands that have been part of it. And and fortunately or unfortunately, it's a lot of commitment. So we're really happy that we managed to feature a few of these artists. But yeah, it's it's their own hard work that pushed them to be in whichever level of success they, they've endured or they've faced. In 2020, Babies went online due to the COVID-19 pandemic. How was it like organizing for the online festival? It's a very interesting question because Babies is known to be a very live festival you have standing crowds you have bands interacting with the audiences you have audiences shouting singing along with the bands there are circle pits once upon a time when we had powerhouse there are circle pits bands audiences are just enjoying themselves from that to during the covid situation because of the covid situation then you had you couldn't have mass gatherings you needed to have socially distanced performances and festivals 
But at that point of time, Babyits, we did two different presentations in 2020. So the first one in August, it was with no audiences. So probably for many of us, it was like no audiences. Our fear was okay. There's not going to be any energy for us as well as the artists who really feed off that energy. So that was probably very very different for us. Pretty much it was like an unknown. Okay, how do we do this? How then do we conceptualize it? How then do we like form that bridge between the artist and the audiences who are then going to watch the performances from their own mobile device, whichever device it can be, computer and whatnot. But how then do we form that link? So in terms of difference, that was a really huge difference. But in terms of challenges, yeah, I'll talk about it later. <laughs> But yeah, these are some of the things that when we're conceptualizing, we're like, okay, hmm. This is different. Hmm. This is something we've not experienced because the festival never re- really required us to like in the okay, pre-COVID era. We never realized that we needed to have this kind of a, a setting. But going through last year, it's given us a lot of different concepts, different ideas in which we can tweak the festival. So in a way, I would say that was the biggest difference. So were there last were there less bands participating? There were less bands participating purely because of many social distancing and safety protocols that we had to enact. Uh, in terms, the simple thing is like everyone's used to desanitization. Everyone's used to like just minimizing the kind number of intermingling. So we did have lesser bands. If we're talking about November, past November's edition. So yeah, that was also a huge challenge in terms of how do we. Still have that baby spirit. How do we translate that to the screen? Because everyone's now watching through screens. What was then once upon a time a physical vibe? You get the vibe in a physical environment. Now you're like watching from a screen. How then do we translate? So the for us the first thing was okay. The the bands that we present has to be really really good bands with some form of uh, following, and at the same time, the production value of whatever you see on screen. We can do simple static cameras, all those kind of things. But then, the challenge kind of gave us an opportunity to translate that into a different output. So, in many ways, okay, how do we make use of the spaces we have within Esplanade? So, for November, we, that was the first time that we did a performance on Esplanade's theater. So, using the venue, using the the vibe or the atmosphere of each venue, then how do we do it? Then for NX Studio, we had this three hundred sixty degree. Setting and we had like Zoom calling and they were projected onto screens because one inspiration that we took was from all the many countries there were a lot of like huge conferences where uh, people sign in via Zoom and you have their faces on LED walls huge LED walls like two hundred to five hundred people signing in so we wanted to find that and try to translate it to what we were doing in SBB so at least the artists would feel like they are performing to someone rather than just cameras. Because in that eight months in phase one, phase two, everyone did a lot of live streams in their own studios. So playing in front of cameras very different from playing in front of audiences. So we were trying to see how we can bridge that gap together between audiences and artists. So it's really just finding all those different technological advances for our own benefit. So it was a challenge, but at the same time, we are still learning in how to overcome that challenge. Because quite frankly, we are not sure how much different. It'll be this year, but we are far more well prepared in terms of presenting and conceptualizing things.
besides the challenges, what good things came out of this experience? Probably the best result is there's no geographical boundaries. In November's edition, we managed to feature bands uh, that Indonesian and American and Filipino. So uh, the best thing is you do not need to be live in Singapore. Do not need to be on site. And really the best thing, I probably I feel that that's the best thing because we had people signing in from America and a huge load of people from Indonesia and Philippines. For them, this is like great because we are exposing them to what we have in Singapore. They're exposed to local bands, local artists. At the same time, whilst they still tune in to watch their own fan, their own like heroes and bands, right? The best thing is they're exposed to, okay, seeing, okay, there's a nice, this is fantastic Singapore band. Let's follow them. So in many ways, the greatest advantage I would say is having that, the whole geographical boundaries broken down. And at the same time, it's also, you're viewing everything from the comfort of your own home. So you can tune in later, you can you can just relax. So it's that too. But even having that, right, our responsibility is how to keep the audience connected and not bored. So, but going back to your question, yeah, geographical boundaries is the breaking down of that is probably the best advantage or the greatest advantage that we had. So what do you think has helped Baby stay relevant to artists and audiences over the last 20 years? Yeah, like I said, it's about staying in tune with whatever is happening in the scene. Uh, the music consumption and the practices that's happening around the scene and surveying the scene, whatever is happening, what programs are there, how are we keeping in line with it, probably helped us stay relevant. Because the wonderful thing is uh, Babies is really supported. Babies is an Esplanade Festival and it is a non-ticketed festival. Non-ticketed means you don't need to get any tickets to watch any performances. It's free. So, in many ways, there is the huge support from Esplanade and at the same time, there's a huge support from the audiences because we kind of tweak and curate the performances or the festival according to the audience's likes and dislikes. If I may say, Babies is turning 20 this year and we've had a whole generation of fans and loyal patrons who have journeyed to the festival. We have them in mind. Then at the same time, we also have people, we want to reach out to newer audiences. So we have them also in mind. So it's about finding the balance. So we curate the real Beebeat-centric bands, like the edgier bands and everything. So then on top of that, then you see the kids nowadays, they love hip-hop. They love hip-hop. They love dream pop, those kind of sounds. So we also include them. So it's literally just finding a nice balance between everything. So that kind of helped us stay relevant with those who have journeyed with the festival at the same time who want to find out more about the festival, who still feel, okay, like let's say there's a new newcomer. So that person also is inclined to come to find and look at the festival, who we hope in the future will then become a loyal patron. So it's really finding that mix. So finding that mix and curating it, I feel is what kind of meant, uh, made Babies relevant and like sorry for keeping like going on and on. We've had wonderful support from different members of the scene, whether it's producers, whether it's managers, booking agents, artists, artist managers. It's literally they've supported the festival too. So there's a lot of things that has helped keep Babies really relevant despite all the number of years. So are there any principles that Esplanade abides by to to organize this festival? Principles-wise, I guess it's the, it's the same for any any festival that we've organized. Because uh, ultimately, it's like understanding 
who we do it for, why we do it. So it's just understanding those. So because the arts can be done for artists, or audiences, or for the art form. So we this is like a general practice um, for many programmers. So yeah, it really depends who and what do we want to propagate. How do we want to help? So like the budding mentorships is for helping younger artists. Certain bands that we curated at the festival is to help the audiences or expose the audiences to a different form of music. So so it's like these are some steps that we take in uh, I shouldn't say it's like a broad thing but many people follow it in Esplanade and I mean I can't speak for everyone but I'm only speaking for whom I worked with. This is probably in a way few steps that we've taken in to like curate programs for Beats. Yes, I cannot undermine the importance of community here, the community whom we are reaching out to. So they are the most important thing, the audiences. So we try to make everything that, I mean, everything that we curate is curated towards the audience's enjoyment or pleasure. Apart from Bay Beats, are there any other platforms that actually nurture or showcase indie music in Singapore? Yeah, apart from Bay Beats, Esplanade also has this free program series called Rocking the Region. So Rocking the Region, uh, we feature a lot of our local indie bands as well as bands from the region, Southeast Asia. So that is one avenue. And at the same time, in the scene, there's like another festival called Ignite Festival by Republic Poly. Uh, they've also done a really good job of featuring indie artists as well as pop commercial artists. And another student-led group or festival is from La Salle, a rock and indie festival. So they've also, I mean, it's a fairly young festival, but they're doing a great job also. On top of that, there are a lot of other private organizers, uh, private labels and presenters who still do the jobs in like different sizes and forms. But due to COVID, okay, a lot of the, because of lack of presenting and like because of a lot of different reasons, most of them couldn't really do a lot of work. But there's quite a fair bit of presenters like Big Duck Private Limited, Atmos, Lukma No Hands. There are quite a few indie labels and presenters out there who still push the indie or propagate indie music. Oh, so what are the plans for 2021's babies? Yeah, 2021, like I said, it's going to be a very interesting year because we can have live audiences and at the same time, we'll also concentrate on the digital feel of it. So it'll be a hybrid festival. I cannot share anything more because there is, we want to keep a few things confidential. We want to surprise the audiences. But it will be a hybrid festival. And one more thing to look out is this year is going to be a 20th anniversary. So it's going to be very celebratory in that nature. So on the final note, what do you think the future of indie music in Singapore will be like? Yeah, I think indie music is in good hands. But at the same time, I guess a large portion of it relies is reliant on the audiences too. Because how many of us listen to local music? How many of us listen to locally produced tracks or albums? So. If everything goes up in tandem, I, I think indie music is going to be in great hands. But even if the consumption is still a fair bit lesser than what we expect, I guess there's a lot of interest in the scene now with audiences and uh, presenters. So I think it's in good hands. But obviously, we would love for it to be even better. So Akhilish, what has been the most gratifying thing about being part of a festival? It's the wonderful thing about doing any festival, hands down, is like, seeing the contentment on audiences' faces. Because most of us, when we look at curating festivals, it's all about on papers, on Excel sheets, on presentations. But when you see it translated 
to a live audience, like a live performance, or in this case, digital, the kind of interaction that takes place, the kind of take-up rate that the audiences have. One particular scene, one particular incident was like, in 2018, when I took over the festival, I introduced a lot of the heavier bands, a lot of the legend, if I may say, veteran bands at the powerhouse, because we were closing the powerhouse the last time. So 2018 was the last time when we had powerhouse. So there was this one random dude who knew a crew of ours. He just came and gave me a hug. He said, thank you so much, bro. I'm like, okay, bro, who are you? This is pre-COVID, so we could hug. So so, uh, so he's like, thank you so much. I'm like, why? He's like, oh no, thank you for bringing back the old babies. So for me, at that point, it kind of struck a, a quite surprising because I did it out of the happiness of doing babies, but it kind of impacted a person very differently on a very human level. So then, I mean, that was probably a very a standout incident that I felt. So these moments like this are like extremely gratifying and you don't expect these kind of things to happen every day, but when it happens, it, it's great. It kind of propels us to do a lot more for the scene. So these are small things that kind of add up to a very nice, satisfying feeling when you see the festival take place physically and at the end of every festival. So when festival ends, we are physically tired, but we are never mentally tired because we always plan for other things. So these are the things that I feel really happy about and very satisfied about. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to talk about a festival that I really love. You have been listening to Radio DDC with me, Thiru. To access the music featured in this episode, you can visit our digital music archive, Music SG, using the links in the episode description. Also, if you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We will be back with a brand new episode in two weeks. See you then.